Welcome to Week in Horror. You gotta be fucking kidding. The only podcast that will feed your horror need. The need to feed. With JL. Yeah, I'm a fucking masochist. I'll watch that shit. <laughs> Eugene. Somebody has to be the sex symbol. I'm sorry. Alex. Shit, I just demonetize this forever. And Johnny O. How do you like that shit? Got half of the monologue. <laughs> Before I'm muting myself, golly, it's one of those fucking days. <laughs> With industry guests. Hi, this is Richard Oakes, director of host. Hey, this is Adam Leader, director of host. This is Matthew Mark Hunter. Hi, I'm Don and Ellie. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. And this is Weekend Horror. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. Welcome to prime time, bitch! News, trivia, and more. One by one, we will take you. Join our live show Wednesdays at 7 central, youtube.com slash weekinhorror. And wherever you listen to podcasts, Week in Horror. Stay scared. <laughs> welcome, welcome, horror fans. It's Wednesday, 7 PM 03 Central Time. That means it's time for another episode of the Week in Horror Podcast. The only podcast that has a bad feeling about this drop. And if you're joining us from your favorite podcast host, you can join us here on YouTube for our live show so you too can get on, on the bloody fun. What are you waiting for? Join us. This week we're covering select horror films released July 24th through July 30th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I'm Alex and with me tonight are Eugene and JL. What's up, everybody? Hey, hey, everyone. How y'all doing? How y'all holding good. up in this damn heat? Oh, <sighs> it's it's got it's got to be it's got to be well it's pretty bad up here, you know. Uh, uh, but I mean, it's got to be worse down in Texas because y'all got the humidity. Listen, it's not too bad because it's been dry as shit, which is the problem. Because now everything's on fire, which right. is a problem. <laughs> but that being said, I walked outside yesterday from work, and I used to work outside every summer, so I was used to it. And I'm not anymore. And I walked outside, and I was like, "Wow, the air is the air is spicy. It's mad. <laughs> it's like it's like having a hair dryer just in your face, just all yeah. the time. It was. I know, it, I... It's." <laughs> I know that yesterday, what was it yesterday, uh, Britain uh, recorded its highest ever heat, like, in its history of recording <laughs> temperatures. 104 <laughs> Fahrenheit, I think it was like 40 Celsius. <laughs> Generally, I don't feel bad when, when they're like, oh my gosh, it's, you know, the equivalent of 75 degrees Fahrenheit, it's so hot. I'm like, okay. And then it was 104, I was like, oh shit, somebody saved the Brits. <laughs> I, I it reminded me because um, I vacationed in Hawaii one time, and we were you know it was great because we you know, I lived in Texas for so long, and it's we're we're used to like you know 110 degrees in the shade, and, you know whatever 120 heat index, and you know playing football in that shit. So we went went to Hawaii, and it was like 72 degrees just the whole time we were there. So it was just like oh this is beautiful, and this is really you know this this is just fantastic. So we're all just relaxing, and I remember we were taking a catamaran ride, and there was a family from Scotland. On that it was vacationing there as well, and they were on the same catamaran. And I noticed that they were hanging out at the back, and they they just they all looked like they were dying. So it looked <laughs> like just they like were. just like like laid out like ha. Ah. <laughs> we're going like, and I had to ask. They looked bad, and I was like, "Are, are y'all okay?" They're like, "Oh yeah, we're doing we're we're okay." And I was like, "Where are you guys from?" And it was like, "Oh, we're from Scotland." And I was like, "Oh, like how 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 hot does it get there?" And they're like, you know, like fifty. <laughs> like 50 degrees and i was like oh wow 
So it was like, it was like, where are you from? It was like, oh, Texas. And right now it's about a hundred and hundred and six, hundred and seven there where we where we are. So it's it's all good. Um, but yeah, it's it's wild. And of course, like Spain is on fire and Britain's on fire, and their runways are melting. It's just their tarmac insane. literally melted. That was they had to stop flights to multiple airports because they're literally melting. I'm telling you, end of the world. <laughs> I, I, hey, I'm, I'm saying uh, because they don't really have ACs in England. Because like, yeah, they have like, like, wi- like window units, but not like AC units like we have, like right. full full house, house cooling units. So um, there may be a new market for that. So uh, that may be a good stock tip <laughs> if you uh, just buy stock in like train or something like that. Because if they open up a production facility in the UK, you're off and running. I mean, just to be saying. honest with you, we should probably like focus on why the planet is so damn hot. But you know. Yeah, I remember, I remember hearing about people going like, oh, global warming doesn't exist. And I'm like, warm enough for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even the hottest part of the year. We're breaking uh, everywhere. It's, it's, breaking records. As, long as, there's, as long as there's money to be made, uh, we're not going to worry about it. Not going to worry about it until the, uh, you know, until the, the water starts evaporating out of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. So the Pacific huh. Ocean is gone now, and so the bios the biosphere seems a little thin today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, talk about your real life horror! Oh man, it, it, it's a while. It, it, it's uh, you know for the one of the rare opportunity, uh, one of the rare moments. I'm actually all caught up for the month, and I know I, I'm caught up for next month. So I'm actually I got all my work done ahead of time. I want to give a thank you to Johnny for that new scheduling deal with adobe for scheduling out the daily splatter it makes it so much easier because i can schedule to all platforms all at once i can just go and i'm done it, it literally cut my workload in in half when it comes to the daily splatter so i'm like yay <laughs> so but i got all that done and of course we've got the uh the uh the bloodbath debate bloodbath debate 32 and after dark 32 coming up this weekend which is going to be a lot of fun it's going to be angela versus eugene that's going to be fun you looking forward to it oh yeah i mean yeah you for- your argument Birdemic is one of my like favorite all-time franchises, and like I'm so excited. She believes so, she's gonna re- she's gonna wreck you with with Robert. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. So this is gonna be it, it, it's so ridiculous, but it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, the, the writing the script for it was just freaking weird. So it's like uh, I hope I I hope I did it justice. Oh well, we've got. And how about you, Alex? Is it how are the kids doing? Great. Um, we, the older ones, have been out of town, so it's been oh, me, the wife, yeah. and the baby for a little while. And so we've been just trying to catch I mean, there is no catching up with four kids, but trying to catch up as much as possible before they get back. And uh, we're going to be going on a uh, – I know this is so northern, but we're going on a fishing trip. Uh, the 29th, we're going to go up to Wisconsin to try to get out of the heat for a little bit. So Awesome. Ooh, awesome. nice. Yeah. We got somebody oh. coming over to watch the, the house and the pets and – we're going to take off. So, Sounds like fun. Hey, yeah. it's something. All, all, all right. Well, we got a bunch of stuff we want to look at for this week. And, of course, a lot of people in the live chat. So let's see who is in the live chat. And, by the way, I need to bring this up. Bam! There's the banner with all of our amazing patrons who make this show possible. Scrolling down there. Oh, you got it right this I time. I got it right the first nice, time. Nice work. Oh, I <laughs> fucked it up myself. I was like, uh... <laughs> There we go. Oh, oh, no. Come back. There we go. All right. So, who we have in the live chat has joined us today. We got Travis Brown is up first. It says, hey there, horror nerds and family. Time to shine this monkey. Absolutely, we're going to shine this monkey. Because we're going to discuss the harrowing tale of a man and his monkey. It's one of the movies we're going to talk about. I, I, even, I even have the shirt for it. 
which makes me very happy. I love it when I own the shirts for the movies that we're going to talk about. So good to see you, Travis Brown, one of our amazing patrons. Appreciate you being here. Rodan OS names in the house as well. Gabba Gabba to you, sir. Says creates a sh- uh, oh, that's uh, okay. He's role playing there. Says I'm waiting. Is it well? We're waiting. <laughs> good to see you, Rodan OS name. Thanks so much for being here, bud. Elizabeth Sylvester's in the house as well. Good to see you, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for being here. Another one of our amazing supporters, as well as Donnie Does That's in the house. Says hey, everybody. Good to see you, Donnie. Thanks for hanging out. Aaron Reese is in the house. And by the way, Aaron Reese would like everyone to know that he is the nefarious power that is suppressing everybody's latent psychic abilities. So if you have a problem with that, take it up with him. That's an inside joke from my personal content over on my channel. So he'll get it. So I know y'all don't get it because y'all don't watch my shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thanks for hanging out, Aaron. It's good to see you. Uh, Liz says, hey, I'm great. Just cleaned my house. I'm heading down, to, uh, going down to the, do the rest tomorrow. Headed down to do some laundry. They're going to relax. How are you? Oh, I'll, I was just talking to Travis there, not us. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Rodan Ellis name says it's finally down to 102 degrees from 106. That's something, yeah, I guess. Something positive. I guess the sun's uh, going down, so that helps. <laughs> Sarcasm's in the house. Good to see you, Sarcasm. Another one of our amazing supporters. Good to see you. It says, hey, kids and critters. Good to see you, Sarcasm. Sally Skeleton as well. And yes, it is horror time. Thanks for hanging out, Sally. With Sally, we do appreciate you being here. Mr. Malord is in the house all the way from Chicago. This hello, Fitness Freds. Fitness Freds. Friends? I'm not really sure. Fitness Freds? I don't, whenever I see fitness, I always think of like, you know, it's like I'm into fitness. Fitness whole pizza in my mouth. I, I just That's ironic because I'm literally eating a piece of pizza right now. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Lord says, two fucking minutes late. This is bullshit. Technically, I think we were a minute late. I think technically three, but, you know, who fucks counting? Yeah, but who's counting? Who's, who's counting? <laughs> who's fucking counting? <laughs> you know who's fucking counting? Mr. Mo- Mr. Malord is fucking counting. That's who's counting. Time is time is money. He's from Chicago. He's from Chicago. Time is money. <laughs> Cindy Johnson in the house. Good to see you, Cindy Johnson. Thank you so much for being here. We do appreciate it. She says, good evening, all. Good to see you, Cindy. Ivy Gentry is also in the house. Says, okay, I'm here. It's fine to socialize on the internet, even if you have the plague. It absolutely, it's, it's, it's usually the best time to do it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's where you're going to get your social socialization in. Mr. Malort says, HBO is supposed to do a series on... Da- yes, it's supposed to be uh, a prequel to the It films. I don't know how that's going to play out. Uh, more details as it comes out. But uh, I'm torn on that because it's not written by King. It's not an adaptation of his work. It's literally created stuff. So it's fan stuff. So I'm not sure where where that's going to go. It's a fan film with money. Right. Cindy John says, "Where is all the hair jail?" Yes, for those who are not live, who are those who are going to catch this on the uh, on the audio later, I had to shave my beard, and uh, for a couple of reasons. And in a nutshell, it was I had to shave it so that the hair can grow in more healthy. Because um, I'd done a d- bunch of like color work to it, like dyeing it, and it, it was all fried out. So this allows the hair, this allows my beard to grow, my beard hair to grow in healthy again. And the second one is I woke up the other day and had a spider in my beard. So <laughs> fuck that. I shit you not. So I was like, what the hell is that? Am I, I feel something. And I pulled it out and it was a fucking spider. So when you have wildlife in your, in your hair, it's time to, time to, time to take care of that. <laughs> um, when, you're, when you're in Oklahoma though, you just have spiders crawling in every fucking crack crevice. So. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. They're everywhere. Yeah, it's not much that you could do. A road in Los Angeles, I'm slowly becoming a potato. Actually, it will, no, I'm, I'm not going to say that. That's mad. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man. Hey, at least at least you're doing something. At least you're aspiring to something. Okay. True. 
Uh, aspiring to spud them. That's fantastic. Oh, that's great. Yes. Oh, uh, see who else we got in the chat. Tony Regimes in the house. Good to see you, Tony. Thanks so much for hanging out. We do appreciate you being here as well as Dib Dib. Good to see you, Dib Dib. Says hi, hi, hi here as a lurker. As it is bedtime for me. We'll lurk away, Dib Dib, but thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Jack Burton's in the house. Let's talk about Wolfen already. We're going to get to it, sir. Yes. We got some other stuff we want to jump to first. Ida Pimp, you, but thank you for being here, Jack. We do appreciate it. Ida Pimp, you to hose in the house. Good to see you, Ida. This says hi, guys. And the Jord as well. Welcome back, bud. Good to see you again. It says, I am here. You are there. Thanks for being she here. She was bud. there. <laughs> Nemo 813's in the house is 104 degrees Fahrenheit with 32% humidity heat index 110 uh, stay in the shade or stay indoors because that's gross so <laughs> be safe out there Nemo <laughs> just yuck <laughs> it's just yuck yuck yes Chris Durham music channels in the house good to see you Chris Durham says hello did I miss the trivia quiz you did not that's going to come up at the end but uh, thank you for being here Chris Durham we appreciate it uh, let me see who else. Uh, I get everybody. I think I got everybody. Yes, I did. Aaron Reese says Jail's running around with a haunted house on his fucking chin. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> Cindy Johnson's, Cindy Johnson's like, I'm so sorry. I don't like spiders. Yeah, it, it, you know, I'm not a terrible, I'm not a huge fan of them either. Some I like because they're beneficial, some I don't like. Um, but, because they'll fucking kill you. Because you know, because yeah, some of them are dangerous. But uh, I'm just like daddy long legs. I don't mind wolf spiders. I don't mind. You know, like orb weavers are kind of cool to look at when they're outside in the natural environment. But when they're crawling around my house or in my fucking office, like the brown recluses that I kill in my office all the time, because they are everywhere during the summer months. Um, but when I pulled a wolf spider, I think it was a wolf spider. I don't. I don't know. Is either a wolf spider or it was a brown recluse. I'm not 100% sure. All I know is, one, it was in my beard, two, it did not bite me. Because I killed it before it could bite me. So That's a huge difference in terms of bites. Yes, it is. Yeah. It absolutely is. So but all I know is that I felt it, and I was like, what the hell is that? Ah, it's a fucking spider in my beard. Okay, it's got to go. <laughs> I can see oh, this all you. in one failed swoop. You see it. You started flailing, and at some point, you just grabbed the clippers, and they were just... Oh, fuck that. No! No! <laughs> I tell you, that was the weirdest experience. Greg, just, you just... Because you got to start somewhere. So you just grab it all, and you just like... Uh, just like did with the scissors, and just like... And I was like... And I got a fistful of my beard here, and I'm like, oh... This is kind of sad, Aww. but you know, it was Aww. kind of bump because it was like almost three years, almost three straight years of uh, growth there. So, NANA is in the house. Another one of our amazing longtime supporters. Thank you for being here, NANA. I do appreciate it. And Flat Derp is in the house. Good to see you, Flat Derp. Thank you so much for hanging. If you have not subscribed to Flat Derp, jump over there. Jump over there. Ah. Ah. Jump over there and subscribe to his his channel on YouTube because his shit is amazing. You will laugh your ass off. Plus, I have to promote him because he has given me a bunch of voice work to do over on his channel, and it's been an absolute blast. So he, uh, he, I firmly have convinced him that I actually have voice talent, and so he puts me in some of his videos, and I'm like, yay! As long as I can keep him convinced of this, then uh, he'll continue to throw me, uh, throw me projects to work on. And Plothole says, help, Eugene locked me in the closet. Oh, this is funny. So Plothole's hanging out. And that's because if you're if you're listening to this, Eugene is broadcasting from Plothole Studio, oh, not, yeah. his, not his apartment. 
So what's it like over there? Well, it's actually a pretty nice setup. So I think I'm going to just go and stay here for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it smells kind of funny, and there's an arm hanging out at the door. Um, we'll have question. But noise keeps find... coming from the walls, but hey, it's cool. Yeah, but it's fine. We might need to find another person for the podcast, though. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, yeah, because you just might as well just, just get rid of him. You know, just, you know, just be done with it. We've got you there. We've got the equipment there. That's really all we need. Yeah, right. right? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, just a team. Yeah, yeah. Just, he's just, at this point, he's just super, superfluous, you know? It's yeah, just, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Flat Dirt, for that compliment. I do, I do appreciate it. And the George says the sequel to A Fistful of Dollars, Fistful of Beard Hair. Yeah, it's pretty much it. It was we. Oh, it was just so strange. And now I know what it's like. You know, when you see those those moments in movies where you know somebody's like, ah, oh, cut my hair off. Well, I I did that. So, uh, Plato says, I know where you live. You wouldn't come out here. Just, there's too much wildlife. Yeah, they have they have spiders and beards. <laughs> Aaron says Johnny's trapped in the closet. Next thing you know, he'll be. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'll le- I'll put it up for people to read it, but I'm not saying that. That's going to get me in trouble. What are you oh, doing? Oh Jesus Christ! Don't I'll put that on our Jesus. <laughs> we can ah. podcast has been shut down due to. <laughs> <laughs> We're being sued by R. Kelly for copyright infringement. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that would get you Eugene. <laughs> oh my god, I think I killed Eugene! Yes! <laughs> I got Eugene! Oh no. Okay, okay, I'm alright now. <laughs> You good? You good? Okay, I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right. So, (laughs) serious horror movies, horror movies. Yes. (laughs) Plotel says, ever seen a black man blush? (laughs) You just did. (laughs) Okay, yes. Beautiful lighting, too. All right, so we do have some stuff we want to talk about before we dive into tonight into tonight's movies. So um, the big the big thing one of the or we actually got four things we want to jump to, so we're going to get through them as quickly as quickly as we can, so we can get to tonight's movies because tonight's movies are actually are actually pretty damn good, and we want to we want to jump on them. So the first big thing, Resident Evil released on Netflix, the new Resident Evil series released on Netflix. Um, I've binged it. I don't know. I uh, don't know how far you guys have gotten into it, or if you've watched the trailer. I think, but if, have you guys gotten a chance to watch any of it? Did I lose everybody? Oh dear! I think I lost everyone. I lost everyone. <laughs> oh, apparently everyone just dropped out except for me. Yes. Um, Eugene and uh, Alex, we lost them both, and I don't know what happened. So apparently, I am the. I just checked the live. I just checked the live stream. So apparently, I'm the only one up right now. So, uh, yeah, that was. Uh, I that's the, okay. People are gonna take this as a joke that I mentioned Resident Evil on Netflix and that every, everything just everyone just ran away. The series is not that bad. I will give it credit in one thing. One, 
is kind of campy and fun and and pays and pays tribute to the games because it, it's in uh, it's in the same continuity as kind of in the same continuity as the games. Um, I do like the casting of Lance Reddick as Wesker. I thought it was it was kind of inspired. I like Lance Reddick. He's a phenomenal actor. Uh, I really really dig him. Um, but one thing that I will say, uh, one thing I, I will say that was kind of refreshing about the series, despite the fact that the that the acting's a little a little hackney and the, the it's really the writing is the problem but because i mean it's, it's a video game adaptation but the big thing i liked about it was because it was it was a huge departure from the movies it was good to see the intro it was good to see the focus not being like this is an action piece with zombies it was good to see the drama building up to this so the series is set after the events of resident evil 6 so the original Wesker is already dead. The outbreak in Raccoon City is a thing in the past. This is a brand new, this is new Raccoon City. And these are the events taking place here. So I really enjoyed what they did to it. They added to the mythology. Um, it's it's about a 70-30 positive, I would say for me. There's there's some obvious failings in it, but they do some, they do some decent stuff. Uh, so I'd recommend that anybody check it out. Um, it's just a nice little departure from the seven Miljovovich films. And of course, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, which was okay. If you if you are a giant fan of the games, you'll love that movie. But if not, it's eh, it's all right. So because that one was really made more, really more made for the game, uh, made for the lovers of the games. Um, apparently, the entire area over there just lost their internet. I don't know what happened. So hopefully they will be back shortly. But hey, fuck it. We'll carry on. We'll carry ourselves. Holy shit! Crafty Keela is in the house. Good to see you, Crafty. I hope you're doing all right. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight, or at least popping by. I know it's getting late over there, so I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Crafty. Good to see you. Hope you're well. Um, and Dive Moss 9 is in the house. Good to see you, Dive Moss. There you are. Hey. We lost full internet for the entire house for a second. Yeah, I, at, first, at first, everybody went, went like, like froze. And I was like, oh my god, did we lose the stream? You know. And then I looked at the live chat. I was like, no, no, I'm still up. I'm good. <laughs> so, <laughs> everyone, I, I, apparently, I mentioned Netflix Resident Evil, and everyone just fucking ran away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joshua Lee has popped in. Good to see you, Joshua Lee. Good to see you. One of our amazing supporters. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, I can't believe Crafty Keel is back in the house. Good to see you, Crafty. That's awesome that you popped by. Thank you so much. We do appreciate it. Um, Dib Dib uh, said, Johnny chewed through the walls and cut the lines. Nobody puts Johnny in the closet. That's what happens. Yeah, that's true. He's he's been fighting back constantly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so that was, so have you seen any of the the new Resident Evil Netflix series? That's the one thing I'm missing. So I want to start watching it this week. Okay, I think you'll dig it. Um, I, I think it's about a seventy thirty to the positive. It's a nice. It was nice to get a departure from the action set pieces we got with the Miljovovich films and Resident Evil Raccoon City. One that takes inspiration from the games, but not so heavily vested, vested in the games that you have to be a fan of the games in order to get what the fuck is going on. So I, I, I dug it. It's got some problems with the writing, got some problems with the acting here and there. But otherwise, it's not a bad storyline. It's, it's good episodes. Some of them drag a little bit, but it's kind of a slow burn. But otherwise, it has a good payoff in the end, I, and I kind of dug it. So you know, we've got uh, it's got some good stuff in it. Good classic Resident Evil fun. See, I'm looking forward to it because I was a huge fan of the games because I played like Resident Evil one, two, three, and zero, and a bunch of. So I love the story, and you know, the movies kind of went off on their own direction, 
derailed at point. I wasn't a huge fan of Raccoon City, mainly because mainly because a lot of the I think the effects were bad. I just didn't think it was shot well. I just just didn't. Um, uh, but there's still some story aspects on it that I did like. So I'm I, I'm actually pretty excited, and then I'll let people know next week how I feel about it. I might be like, this is terrible. It's trade. And I'll rant like last time, or I might be like, it's good. <laughs> cool, cool, awesome. <laughs> All right, well, well, I know that Alex will be here soon, So, but let's take a look at these. So, three big things dropped this past week, and we're going to take a look at all three of them. We've got them all here. So, first up, um, and it really surprised, it kind of, it kind of surprised me. I wasn't expecting it to see it this week, but we got the, the first official trailer for Orphan First Kill, the prequel to Orphan, starring Isabel Furman um, as Esther. The uh, or uh, or uh, Lena uh, Lena Clamor, whatever you have the little psycho chick posing, uh, the psycho Lithuanian chick posing as a little girl. But we got the trailer for the prequel on, so let's take a look at that. Oh yes. So curious about that. Ah, uh, I'm interested. I think from based off of it, um, Esther. I mean, she. She's going to put on a good performance. She did. She did a good performance on the original Orphan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think from everything I've seen, just from this trailer right here, it looks like she's going to at least be at that same level performance wise. Um, is this supposed to be like her first? This is her first time. It's it's the prequel. It's how oh. she she how she took over that she takes over the identity of a missing child that's been gone missing for like four years, and she basically shows up claiming to be this missing child, but in actuality she's. Lena, who's freshly escaped from the asylum that she was housed at. Okay, okay. I'm I'm interested. Out of a lot of the horror trailers, a lot of horror trailers have been disappointing me lately, but this one at the very least is like, okay, it's kind of interesting. I can kind of go. I'm kind of curious to see where it's going to go. Um, I wish I wish the trailer was a little bit shorter, just because like it reveals so much. So like, much, yeah. Like the. The fingerprints don't match. I'm like, don't show that to me in the trailer. We kind of know already that it's not really her. But dude, don't go up to there or she pops up behind him in the corner. You don't really <laughs> need to show. It's like, okay, there's kind of a confrontation that's going to happen here. We, it's already implied, but don't show it to me. Um, right. But I'm, I'm curious to see where I'm going to watch it at the very least. But I'm curious to see where it's going to go. Sir Cadden says, I'm already bored of it, and you know they put the best bits in the trailer. That's what I'm kind of afraid of. Um, yeah. I'm kind of afraid they put all the best stuff in the trailer, uh, but we'll see, because Isabel Furman is a fantastic actress, and I'm looking forward to... She was fantastic as Esther the first time around. I couldn't tell if they actually if they actually did some digital de-aging for her, uh, just because it's been so long since the first Orphan film, uh, since the first film, so they may have done a little bit of de-aging for her, but she's naturally a very, very tiny... She's a very tiny actress, I think she's only five foot three, five foot two or five foot three. So she, so she can naturally pull it off. But I think they may have just done a little bit of digital uh, de aging for her. They gave her the, they gave her the, uh, the Professor X treatment to try to. <laughs> I mean, I'm hoping it's more of a kind of a makeup effect. But also, see, the issue you have with these prequels is that we already know that she survives. Right. Like she has to survive. She has to win right off the bat so it it comes down to the point where does she just kill everybody in the family or does a family member live at the end that's like the only possible question that could be answered whereas if you had a sequel uh something like that even though i think she gets like shot or lit on fire or something like the very end 
if you had some kind of a sequel, it can at least kind of make it where maybe she can die in the sequel, maybe something else. It gives you more freedom, but she and lives. But considering she dies at the end of the first film, so she, yeah. so we know she lives through this, and she we know that uh, Vera Farmiga's character kills her at the end of the, the first movie. Uh, so there's not going to be a third one. So it's, it's not like this is a bridge in order to set up some big reveal in the third movie, in, in a possible third film. So, you know, it's kind of like, huh? Maybe, don't know, but we'll see. You know, we'll, yeah, we'll see yeah, based, we'll based see. on that. So uh, let definitely let us know what you think of the upcoming Orphan First Kill based on the trailer we just watched. Next up, we have, and it finally dropped, Jeepers Creepers Reborn. Let's take a look at the trailer. So... I I kind of wish that it was just an original villain. Like if they just it was just some unknown creature that mm -hmm. was kind of I think that would be way more interesting and you would have a lot a lot more freedom to do because it's just like new creature that would be like because part of the part of the appeal of something like Jeepers Creepers is like what is a creature capable of? What does it need to do? What is it like in terms of the first one that was what kind of draws you in? Is like, what is this thing? Well, we already got three movies of it, and it's like, I already, already kind of know what the creature's capable of. I already kind of know, um, I already kind of know, like, okay, well, this is how the creature attacks, this is how the creature works. So it just kind of takes a little something like from it. Like, maybe that's just me, but it just kind of takes a little bit of mystery because then, so now you basically, it's like a four or five people just in an abandoned house. It's just like a slasher film. Right, um, right. And I and I get you know, and I absolutely see it because we we uh, we because we, we know so much about it and we're going you're going into it's kind of like um what you know like what what new could possibly be brought to this now the big thing that is intriguing to me is that obviously the the first film was phenomenal I I absolutely loved it the second film kind of capitalized on what made the first film good and you know it, but the third film but obviously didn't do as well and the third film was it was you know it, by for all intents and purposes was abysmal and there's a reason why it was abysmal for two reasons one is because of the of director Victor Salva and the all the problems that came along with Victor Salva mm -hmm. and then of course uh, because of those problems the lack of funding the lack of support and his ability you know trying to get that thing done now it's not something I want to dive into at length People are already familiar with the issues, uh, with the issues there, and of course, once they said that they were going to reboot the series, um, what were they going to do with it? Because Salvo was not brought back, and, and not even Jonathan Breck was brought brought back. Almost twenty years playing the Creeper, and I think Jonathan Breck brought a real energy to that role. I think he loved playing the Creeper, and he kind of he made it iconic. Just you know, yeah. and just his physicality alone, and I and I was such a bummer when I got to sit, I got to talk to him at the last Texas Frightmare weekend, and I found or and I found out that he was not going to be there. It was like he had no information about Reborn. He was not asked to return, and I was like, oh, that's such a bummer. So we're gonna get a whole new actor, whole new production company behind it, all new, everything is brand new except for the concept. So maybe they'll do something different, maybe not. I don't know. What's a bummer is that we're never going to get the continuation. We're ne never going to get the 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 find or basically the first trilogy ended on a giant cliffhanger, and that was Taggart, um, Roy uh, Ray Weiss's character sitting there waiting for it to wake up again so that they could destroy it, and then we'll see the culmination of Meg Foster's uh, Meg Foster's storyline and Ray Weiss's storyline coming down to where they're finally going to be able to destroy this thing. 
So there was a bunch of plot threads that are not going to get resolved, which is a bummer. I can't, I hate that. That's why I was hoping 4 would be like, oh, maybe we'll, we'll finally, you know, we'll clear this up. That's not what's going to happen. This is a full and total reboot. So I'm curious on that. It's like now that we've gotten rid of all the, now we can ignore the first three films. Now we're going to start from this one. So I don't know where they're going to go with it, which could be some surprises. I don't know. But like I said, it's hard. To, it does look it does look gritty and it looks pretty sick. I will say that. Like it, it, it has some stuff that looks pretty cool on it. And I think an interesting concept could be, and maybe this is a spoiler, maybe this is not, but it may be if the carnival was in on it, so the carnival makes them win, so they become a sacrifice to ah. the creeper. That could be an interesting point, and it reveals, like I said, they're in on it anyway. That's but then like if I'm thinking right off the bat, well, that's where I would go. That would be the most interesting point and seeing how like the carnival deals with the Jeep with the creeper, then it's kind of like a that means the movie could be very predictable. Right. Like I just, I just having if they just inserted a new monster, something that we've never seen before, then that, to me that would be an amazing trailer. Like you just like I mean, what is this thing? What is hunting them? Because you don't really see the creeper very much in it, and like that could be really cool, and that would definitely be something I want to see. But it's like, how many times have I seen? A group of teenagers or twenty people in their twenties in some abandoned house with some creature <laughs> who just watched the butcher and it just lingers in my right. head. It's just there. I will say, I, I you know, no matter how good this one is or how bad this one is, I don't think anything is ever going to beat the the brilliance of how the monster was, how the creeper was revealed in the very first film. How it's mm -hmm. with the slow transformations. At first, it was the truck. Then it was the then it was the guy in the hat in the shadows that you could barely see, and then slowly, it slowly became more monstrous until eventually. You've got the whole thing full on wings, things coming out of its head, shit there at the very, very end. It is like wholesale, like fucking demon and shit. So, and I, the, the way the first film was paced out and the way the, re, the reveal was handled through all the different stages, the metamorphosis of the monster through the, through the film, I don't think anything's ever going to beat that. And not to mention, because we know all that, what are they going to do with this one? So, definitely let us know what you think of the Jeepers Creepers Reborn trailer. Are you looking forward to it or not? We'd love to hear what you think. Remember, weekendhorror at gmail.com or in the comments below. And last but not least, Blumhouse officially dropped the trailer for Halloween Ends. And I know this because Eugene shared it with me. Yeah, so let's this take is the one I've at, seen already. Let's take a look at this one and see what the audience thinks. Halloween Ends. Short, sweet, to the point. <clears throat> Man, I am I'm curious to see Bubble garbage. <laughs> How much it feels like it's a story that could have been wrapped up in one movie and they somehow like stretched it to like three movies because into a trilogy. Like, yeah, into a trilogy because like the, I liked the 2018 one. Like I liked it. That was good. Mm -hmm. It was shot very well. The effects in it were really good. It was a really interesting take and especially seeing Michael Myers in like a modern cinema style type film. The second one was just like all over the place. It had some some stupid characters and all and it made Michael Myers like supernatural again. And then I don't you, think it did that, but that the, we can diverge. Yeah, we, we can we diverge. Can, yeah, we can debate that uh, all day. And so this one is basically all it's showing is like, well, here's the final standoff. 
So it was like, is this going to be like an hour and a half fight scene between Lori and Michael Myers? Like, see how, how much damage these two can take. <laughs> <laughs> On it, so I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of like, this could have, this easily could have been one long movie because I don't know how first uh, long Halloween, uh, Halloween the 2018 one. Maybe if they added an extra 30 minutes to that movie, they could have wrapped up the entire series. Oh, 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 Craft Tequila, good to see you. Thank you so much for hanging out, hun. Says, I'm out, folks. Uh, sleep time. I've missed being here for the streams later. Well, have a good one, Crafty. All the best to the to the little one. She, uh, her son is three weeks old now. So congratulations. Oh, congratulations. So I uh, hope all is well. I hope all stays well. Definitely stay cool out there. I know it's uh, getting pretty hot out there, but uh, all the best. Thank you, Crafty, for popping in. We do appreciate it. And yes, Sarcasm, we all love it when Jamie Lee cusses. Yes. Because she drops a motherfucker like Sam Jace, like, you come and get me, motherfucker. And I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> Fuck his shit up, Jamie. <laughs> oh. oh, Jamie, you know he's around. You know, she damn well did. She, she, she like drew a beat on his ass. I was like, it's like, don't say anything. Just fucking perforate him. Just empty that fucking clip, yeah. like right there. You don't have to have the one liner. People are like, "Oh, I finally got you." And then he stabs you. That's how Michael Myers wins. Do not let that fucker catch you monologuing. You, you that's how he gets you. Is he catches you monologuing or catches you having a moment, and he's like, "Nope, you're dead." So I'm curious as to where it's going to go. Definitely let us know if you're excited for Halloween ends in uh, weekinhorrorgmail.com or down in the comments below. I see a lot of love for Jamie in the uh, a lot of love for Jamie in the live chat. All right. Well, we got some movies we're going to jump to, and I see that Alex is not here yet. His internet is probably still out. Um, have a good night, Crafty. Thanks so much. Uh, Plato says jail is wrong. The stupid supernatural element was brought in. You don't get shot multiple times, stabbed multiple times, and beaten the head multiple times, and get up and kill everybody. You uh, you can if you're a big bad motherfucker. And Michael Myers is a big bad motherfucker. So. We'll, we'll have to debate that another time. That will be, that'll, that'll that'll be, like, another time. That'll be a bloodbath debate. Should he have died right there or not? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we got some movies to talk about. And, of course, Eugene is up first. So, Eugene, what do we got first in our list tonight? So, first, we have released July 24th, 1981, is the movie Wolfen. I know Wolfen. Jack Bird's... Jack Bird's been waiting for us to get to this one. So, <laughs> oh, Cindy Sue says Michael Myers is Rasputin. <laughs> there he is. Hey, he's back. Oh, we can't hear him. That's okay. While well, he sorts it out, let's take a look at this trailer. All right, Wolfen, directed by Michael Wadley. I'm going to go with that. Starring Albert Feeney, Deanna. See, you do this on purpose. <laughs> Deanna. It's Michael Michael Wadley. Michael and it's Albert Finney, Albert Finney, Anna, Diane, Finney. Van, Diane Venora, Edward James Olmos, and Gregory Hines, and Tom Newman. And basically, in a nutshell, it's pretty self-explanatory. You have a creature that's going around attacking people and eating people and ripping them to shreds. I mean, anytime you have wolf in a title, that's what you're getting. Oh, yeah. And these, these, these things will fuck around <laughs> at all. I mean, this shit is fucking brutal. Like, you know, People get their fucking like limbs ripped off and shit. It was, it was uh, <laughs> so uh, the, the one thing I have to say about this one, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. 
I really, really did. I, I dug the shit out of it. it. It had a lot of... It reminded me a lot of uh, Nomads, the Pierce Brosnan film that uh, that we watched some weeks ago. It had just had a, a good kind of feel that. Plus, it has some... It's rooted in actual indigenous American history. Um, not, not, not just the legend in itself, but I actually had to go and look at it and, and look into the the history that they have Edward James Olmos even though he's not I don't believe he's of indigenous American descent uh, but he plays an indigenous American he plays a member of the Mohawk tribe and this was this was the group of people that actually helped to build the Mohawk Indians that actually helped to build some of the famous uh, skyscrapers you see in New York the Chrysler Building the Empire State Building um, it, it, uh, the Rockefeller Center it was amazing. I did. I wasn't aware of this, so it actually opened up this whole like uh, history lesson for me, and 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 taking you know, getting a really good appreciation for the for the indigenous Americans that helped to actually build the New York that we recognize. Uh, not to mention opening up with that shot of the World Trade Center. You know, because you all because back in the day you always had to show that thing. Um, you know, it, it was. It, I also I, I had no idea there was a point in time where areas of the Battery and the Bronx looked like that. And through the periods of reconstruction, where they're tearing everything down and destroying, you know, and, we'll, and we're going to get to that as far as production, as, as far as production design goes. I don't think you can buy production design like that. But the big thing about this is that I initially thought that this was a werewolf movie, and it kind of is, because it's, but it's also more of a spirit movie, which makes it a little bit more intriguing because they're wolves, but not really wolves, but they take the form of wolves. In that respect, and it's mankind's kind of abuse of the abuse of the land and abuse of these areas that awakens these spirits. These spirits come for revenge uh, for having their habitats disturbed, which is an intriguing concept. But what what did you take from this, uh, as far as like what kind of a movie it is? See, and this is something I actually talked about. Uh, what was it, about two weeks ago when it comes to werewolf movies? How we talked about how there's just not a lot of them because werewolves as a whole kind of pigeonhole because it's always like the full moon you have a silver bullet you have like you have all these things where even with others like zombies and vampires you have more leeway but werewolves are very strict and if you were going to want to make a movie this is more the type of movie that you would want to make so now because it's spirit based you don't have to follow the rules of being right. a werewolf movie because these things can attack you during the day they, they can attack you at any point and so that way it can always also kind of keep the audience <clears throat> on, on its toes and so this is where you can actually get a little bit more freedom with doing like just a wolf movie a spiritual wolf movie on it and so that was that was the thing that really intrigued me about it I definitely and Jack Jack Burton brings up supernatural wolves using the modern slums as their hunting grounds. It was never a werewolf movie, and and I get that now. <laughs> I do, you know, you know, given what you know, given the the cover. If you go and you look at the poster, we put we put the poster up in the community tab in the Weekend Horror community tab, and you get the feel it's wolfing, you know, and then ah, big scary wolf. You think oh, this is, you know, and it's killing people. It's a horror movie. You think you think werewolf. But it's so much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, just like uh, Nomads, rooted in actual history, which I really, really dug. Um, there's cool stuff there that's pulled from reality. I think Edward James, Edward James almost was, it was, he was both awesome and hilarious in his like, I'm going to run around this nasty, just like butt naked. Ah, I thought he was, hyster- I thought he was great. He just like dove into that. That's, that's Adama. 
right there. That is the man who will be a you know uh, Ad- Admiral Ad- or it's like Admiral Adama in Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> so I uh, you know, that's that's stand by me right there. So I I love Edward James almost like he's amazing. Um, it's a good. It's nice to see really talented actors get to cut loose and just have fun. And be like, yeah, I get to do this crazy role and, and be cool with it. Albert Finney in classic form, the late, great Gregory Hines. Um, love seeing him pop up. And, of course, character actor Tom Noonan, who a lot of people probably remember from Last Action Hero as the uh, the, the killer dude, that uh, the guy with the slicker and the axe um, that Arnold Schwarzenegger fights. Tom Noonan's – oh, he was also in Manhunter. Oh, he was yeah. the, in, in the original Manhunter with Brian Cox. So, uh, but yeah, uh, this is a really, really deep film. It has some really compelling themes, and I loved the underlying current of Eat the Rich. And this is nineteen eighty one. This is eighty one. So this is a like you know like corporate uh, corporate entities and uh, these uh, big they are I would say big money is essentially mutilating the face of New York for this for for continued profits. And going all the way back to the Dutch, because you have you know to the Dutch colonists when 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 uh, New York when his New York was a Dutch colony, and it goes all the way back to that. And I love that play with the very first kill, the Vander the Vanderveers, and I love that they played into that and this notion that this is the not just the Earth itself, but everything rising up in the face of just like this mutilation that corporate interests are bringing to the planet. A really deep and profound film that I think the writing was solid on, and Albert Finney is just fantastic as the cop. And one thing I really dug from a production standpoint is all the conversations that are taking place off camera. Is that every time you have the action, so you, you have the director would frame the action that goes going on. You got Finney and you've got Hines who are having their discussion, or you've got something something going on, and then they they leave and the camera follows them. But there are conversations going on all over the place, and it was a little new. It was little nuances like that that just made the whole thing feel so much more alive. That there were there were there were you know business. It's not like the action is only there on camera. They're there in the city morgue, so they have their conversation, then they leave. But conversations are still going on all over the place. And I dug that the director kept those so that we constantly feel that we are in a living, organic environment. Really, really smart stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing going back into Eating the Rich is you have to look at New York City at this time when this film came out. New York City was was, a lot of it was slum. You didn't really have like a middle class that was going on. You had the wealthy, the people at the top, and then you had the poor at the bottom. This is where gang violence was at its max, where you could not get on the subway by yourself anytime or something bad would happen to you. I mean, you think back to uh, the movie The Warriors. That I mean, that was how it was. People people joined gangs for pure safety. So it's nice that they're able to kind of flip that on its head. It's like, no, you brought this on because you're forcing all this renovation in areas where people legitimately live on it. People live there that and was you're just knocking down. Yeah. I got I got a weird kind of like street trash vibe. Street trash, almost warriors. Uh, street trash and warriors vibe. The urban decay, like the like the 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 destruction, and people are still persisting in these environments. The the, the that brief little throwaway homeless scene, where like yeah. the, the homeless guy, you know, it's like, it was, but it says so much about that, and just beautifully done. And I think I, uh, it was both uh, both uh, uh, it was almost like uh, the director was trying to capture the love for New York. 
and what and, and the kind of like idea of what like this idea of what New York is and then the face of what New York is becoming and it was kind of like uh, kind of like directors um, like uh, Hen and Lauder who really love New York okay they really absolutely love New York but they show New York all like warts and all and they you realize it that that is where the culture is that is where the spirit of the city is and I love that it was, that he captured this even in the most destitute destructive places it was like this place looks it looks like a war it looks like a fucking war zone and yet still it has that 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 nuance that New York essence to it it, it, I, it does wait we smell hey, you can smell it can you hear me holy yes, shit yes we can hear you hey welcome back. Everything works fucking perfectly until I get onto this podcast and it just starts going haywire. Uh, <laughs> Jack Burton says they're suggested to be ghost spirit like at the end. They literally disappear. True, they did. The 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 wolves and those wolves were amazing. I hadn't seen I haven't seen like trained animals like that in a while, which is really cool to see in this one, was how well these these animals were trained. So I dug that. And he also says, and Mr. James Horner with the score which inspired Aliens. Because Aliens came out in 86, five years after that, and James Horner uh, ran the uh, score on this one. Just it was, it was it was solid pedigrees across the board. Oh, and holy shit, Boomer's in the house. Good to see you, Boomer. And God for 20's in the house as well. Another one of our amazing supporters. Good to see you both. And Boomer says, does Nailgun canonically take place in Florida? Uh, no, technically it takes place, in, it canonically takes place in Texas. So yes. just a heads up there. But and Sarcasm sequel. says, I enjoyed the film. Urban Sprawl is an issue, but when you set up Werewolf, you set up Shapeshifting, you also set up Who is the Killer, but there isn't a killer to detect or get before Moonrise. Um, I thought there was, there was a lot of brilliant stuff done in this movie, and I honestly, I don't think they could have done it better, to be, you know, to be fair. It was, it was awesome that they had New York, you know, they had, the, like you were talking about Urban Decay, they had that to work with. Um, in their production and and you've touched on a lot of the stuff I was going to talk about which was like you know what New York was and what it's becoming and people love it so much that there's actually hope in this dark place and then you see a lot of that played into the film but also it you know it, the I, I like the nuance of it you get this feeling like everybody's got this hope that it's going to get better and for right it fucking doesn't um but it plays it was, just and also and also the, and also the cynicism that they don't believe the corporate interests that are telling them that they're going to make it okay that right. they're the ones who are going to do it like no we'll fucking do it and that's the new york attitude it still is to yes. this day you know you're still looking at that you know as they, new york has been through the the most shit I, i'm going to say that and i'm going to regret it later but the most shit out of any other state that you can really think of you know they go through a lot of really bad stuff and they always just get up and you know they brush off their jacket and they keep fucking going and you see that in, in they play with it a lot in the camera work mm-hmm. and there is there's a scene in particular um i think it's around the first kill um where when the vanderveers and the bodyguard when she's walking and yeah and then the guys like walk in and she's like chris chris <laughs> and, and he hops out and it's like Rawr! and it was it was like you get to see everything in that kind of shot where it's like it's all fucking just run down but they light it up so perfectly where it's like, right. well, it's not really that bad. And she's walking around in nice clothes and, you know, there's, there's suits and, but it's just like creepy. Like, cause like, have, have you turned, have you looked anywhere? Like you guys eat here? Like what the fuck? But yeah, no, it, when you're talking <laughs> about Urban Decay, they used it in, in both their cinematography and the storyline and it worked brilliantly. 
you just reminded me because some of the cool nuance, like I said, like the, the continuing conversation so that you know it, that, that action is constantly going on. It made the film more alive that action yeah. was going on off camera like that, like the whole sequence when they're when they're picking up the bodies of the rich couple that are killed at the beginning. And they, it was like, it was like, you it was like, it was just be careful. And then Gregory Hines is like that her, her throat was slashed so badly that, that she was nearly decapitated. And right. so they're, so they're like, like yeah, okay, guys, animal. you can take her away. So then Gregory Hines and Albert Finney walk off camera, and or they walk away, and the camera's following them, and you hear the guys go to pick her, go to like pick up the body, and Gregory Hines is like, hey guys, be careful, and then you hear a thunk, and he's like, oh, and because her head fell off, and then <laughs> but you know you don't see any of this, but then the guys are like, oh, and then you hear them reacting to it, and Gregory Hines is like. He's like, come on, y'all. He's like, just his reaction to what's going on off camera. And then as they walk away, you hear the conversation. Well, go ahead, pick it up. I'm not picking it up. You pick it up. So you hear this going on over there. It's like they do that throughout the whole film. And it's just, I, I love that he captured that and kept that little, it's little pieces like that that really make a film uh, feel alive. So I, I dug what he did with this one. Um... And the production value just can't be beat. You can't beat shooting in what arguably look like very dangerous areas. Um, heavy construction, a lot of demolition. Uh, but, you know, the risk that you take to, I mean, because you can't buy production value of, of that nature. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Any kind of use that environment. And I like films that that utilize that. Probably the best example, maybe 28 Days Later. Uh, in terms of Bye just your, your production design, another great one, and I love this one, and the shoehorn budget, Night of the Comet, where they shot on Christmas Day in L.A. because they knew the streets were empty, mm -hmm. and they were able to accomplish that same thing. So you kind of get that destitute, that urban decay, that kind of stuff where – you could build it on a set and it'll cost you several million dollars or you can find the right location and shoot it almost for free. I mean, who knows what they pay for these locations on it, but use that to your advantage and it's able to add something to your film because it's not, it's not no longer just about, Oh, a wolf, a spiritual wolf is attacking people, but now you have to add that class element to it. And that's one of the best things about horror films is you can throw themes like that. Jack Burton brings up the bar scene when uh, with Edward James Olmos and the rest of the the Mohawk Indians that are hanging out, which was actually they never named the bar, but there actually was a bar that all of the Mohawk tribe uh, frequented in New York. That was their watering hole after they got done with the days of work with a, with a day uh, after a day's work working on the high steel, which is what they referred to them as. But they were called the Mohawks, the the Mohawk Skywalkers, is what they were is what they were referred to as, and they because. The, 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 the uh, Native Americans that were hired to work on these projects they had no fear of going up and working in these high places. So, and plus, it was fantastic money because the risk was so high. So they were willing to go up, so they, get, they got their own name, and it was uh, something like, and uh, it was, I, can't, I can't remember how many of them there were, but it was uh, a, a selection of the tribe had been, you know, opted to stay in New York, uh, you know, apart from, you know, to not go with westward expansion and kind of integrate into society. And New York, can, you know, can integrate anybody. And so they hung out and they found their niche by helping to build the skyline that we see today from the bridges to the skyscrapers. And uh, there's a scene that Jack, that Jack brings up, the bar scene with Olmos and Finney. And that, in the, as from a writer's perspective, and yes, Jack is right, that is how you fucking do exposition. That is how, that is the, and it was brilliantly done. Because you've got Finney, the white, Finney, essentially the white man, walking into a, an indigenous American bar where everyone is, where everyone is indigenous, 
So there's a, there's already that kind of like anxiety. And he walks in and Finney understands this. His character Jack understands this. He doesn't put he, he's not he doesn't put you put anybody off. He just comes and says this is what it is. This is what I'm dealing with. Can you help? You know, but not putting anything on them, no responsibility and just getting the information that he needs in order to do his job. And I like that there was both the tension there and the exposition played exceptionally well. So the amount of respect, kind of like the begrudging respect that they have for one another. So I really dug it. This was a beautifully done film. And I think deserves way more credit than it got. It did. It became almost almost a cult film because mm. it didn't it didn't do well right away. But, you know, as you can see, people enjoy it now still. Oh, yeah. And, and so, yeah. It, did, it didn't at the time. It might have been ahead of its time. I know we say that a lot, but. Aaron says, sorry, I left at Urban Decay. I was afraid Abel, Abel Ferrara would show up. <laughs> I was just about to say, like, Henan Lauder and Ferrara, they captured uh, New York Urban Decay the absolute best. They showed that the seediness, the underbelly, the, the, like the, the, the grossness of New York is kind of where the heart of it lies. And, you know, there's, there's, there's good things to be found in those areas as well. So, but definitely, if you haven't got a chance to watch this one, I highly recommend it. It's fantastic acting, great writing, a good little bit of history pulled, you know, pulled straight from the history of New York, a love for the city, and uh, really captures the the spirit of it. Um, so, really, just a whole, just a deep, deep film. Really, really dug it. It, it definitely, it definitely give it a watch. Yep. And I'd actually like to ask the audience: Do you think Wolfen needs a? sequel a reboot or a remake or maybe we should just be left alone i mean we talk about all the trailers we watched earlier what reboots remakes prequels da 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 this and then is wolfen one of those movies that maybe it needs to be redone or maybe a sequel uh let us know in the comments below or shoot us an email at weekendhorror at gmail.com i honestly think it should leave it alone this, yeah this, this is one that stands on its own good movies just just leave alone bad right. movies good stories are executed poorly or the movies need to be remade right it's uh, wrote a no last name made a good point he said you can see how um like escape from new york was no that's not what i saw oh. <laughs> uh they gave us a slice of life um oh. no up go up to they gave us a slice of life an era uh of time that can't be replicated today you would not be able to get the same you know, image of New York because it's changed so much right. since then. Um, and I think, I think the timing was perfect for that. The the story and the cinematography and everything was, like I said, ahead of its time, but you could not, I don't think you could do it again um, without spending a shitload of money and the production value being lower because it would be uh, more orchestrated or more, you know, made up. They'd have to make it look like it used to, and you just can't do that. Definitely. Yeah, agreed. All right. All right. Sir, Sir Captain says if it were, if it were to get if it were to be remade, they need to remove the werewolf clues and let it be more plainly man versus supernatural. And even then, I think that I, I think that that might hurt it. So I think I think this is one that uh, that should be left alone, and it, I think it stands on its own merits. It was good if at 1981 when it came out, it captured New York perfectly in the 80s, and I think that's a, that's where it should stand. New York in 2022 is not New York in 1981. So the face the face of the city has changed. Um, I think the the face of the of the of the boroughs has completely changed in that time period. So I think this is just one of those ones that should be uh, should remain um, in the uh, in the annals of history. Oh, Travis, get out of here! 
the wolf in the wall street <laughs> that's, that's awesome all right our next our next one coming up is released july 24th 2015 we have the creature feature dark was the night let's check out this trailer donnie said i fucking told you <laughs> I told you, guy. <laughs> All right. Dark Was the Night, directed by Jack Heller, written by Tyler Hissel, and starring Kevin Durand, Lucas Haas, and Bianca Kaljic. Uh, the story basically follows a uh, sheriff of a very small town up north who uh, finds his little, finds his tiny, idyllic little town uh, suddenly besieged by creatures that attack, or by uh, a monstrous creature that attacks in the night and is going after all the livestock, driving out all the wild game from the local forest, and eventually setting its sights on the populace. So, uh, and then he you know, takes a stand to fight against it. Um, I really, really dig this one, because uh, it's both it's both a... predominantly for its atmosphere, because uh, it's also... because Kevin Durant is a fantastic uh, um, dramatic actor, and I loved the, the storyline going into this. I think it was very similar to what they tried to do with 30 Days of Night, in respect, like the the uh, the relationship between Evan and uh, and um, and Stella, but they pulled it they pulled it off better in this one, just because I think Kevin Durand is just a fantastic actor. And but otherwise, I predominantly dig this one because it has some real life inspirations. It, so, reading up on this shit, um, you're right. So this this movie kind of pulls from a story uh, they called it the Devil's Footprints. Um, and so in uh, February of 1855, uh, near East and South Devon, England, after it snowed, there was uh, some hoof-like marks that appeared in the snow from like a 40 to 100 mile radius. The stories differ wherever you look. But um, it, the, <laughs> the, the religious bunch at the time, the religious leaders suggested <laughs> that these were the tracks of Satan. Um, and so... There was uh, there was a lot of speculation as to what was going on. I mean, at that time, the pictures that they show of the tracks do just look like straight up like horse hooves. Um, it, but it, the story, you know, how <laughs> 1855, everything was fucking handed down. So it went from, oh look, somebody came through here with a, a horse, to fucking Satan's coming and he's gonna kill us all. And they started attributing <laughs> these these sightings to deaths and. And it became this story that it, even in 20, what was it, 2015, you know, <laughs> they're still coming up with these fucking crazy stories. Well, about it. it was weird because the tracks that they, as they followed them, they did weird things. They went over houses, they went over hay bales, they went down alleyways, they went along walls. And right, all kinds of unaccountable places. Is what unaccountable places, <laughs> right. It was like, this is, this is definitely weird. And we're bipedal, and, but obviously they look like horse hooves. And were actually quite large, so it was weird. So it was undetermined if it was a hoax or, or given how long ago the story was, how how blown out of proportion it has become over time. But it's it was it was logged as an event that took place. People woke up one morning and there were strange hoof prints all Listen, over the town. 1855. People are bored as shit in England. Somebody <laughs> is like, "This is the heaviest snow we've seen in a while. Let's fuck with people." And they took a couple of fucking horseshoes and figured out how to make it look like they went over the houses. But no, it, it, 
being back in 1855 England, you see these these you know horse hooves up the side of a wall it, on the people are like, oh my, they're losing their shit. You got fucking religious movements and leaders, and they're like, it's Satan, and everybody starts freaking out. <laughs> it, it's it's hilarious if it was a hoax. Um, props to those fucking pranksters. Hey, and I see Facty's joining us. Good to see you, Facty. Thanks for popping in. Do appreciate it. And he says, my beard looks fantastic, except for the spider poop on my chin. So. <laughs> and Rodan Nola's name says, was it Tracks of the Moon Beast? Oh. <laughs> no, that creature had had, oh, had three toes. Had three three reptilian toes. But uh, I thought that was actually kind of neat that he that he pulled that. And, and, and fortunately, they use it to very small effect in the film. They did that sequence where they see that where they wake up the uh the, they come out the next morning. And there's the large tracks all over the place. It's like ah, oh, I see where they they use that mm-hmm. kind of the effect. But the movie in and of itself is intriguing because uh going into the production on this one is standard creature feature. But the director really really and this is what I wanted to examine. The director really really wanted to create a unique monster that had, something that had never been seen before. He wanted to make something new. And that's really fucking hard. That is, that's really hard to do. And because we've seen so many different variations of different monsters, different creatures. I mean, then creature features come out just about every year. So coming out with something new is very, very difficult. But at the same time, that's what that's what a film like this is intriguing. So when I was talking earlier about the Jeepers Creepers trailer, it was like this film would be really interesting if it was a new creature. Because then it's like, well, you don't know what it is versus, well, we already know what the Jeeper and all it's all this kind of stuff we do. This is what this is the type of movie that can kind of pull you in because you don't know what it is. You don't know what rules it follows. And what's really interesting is the fact that you're learning about these creatures' abilities as the characters are learning about these creatures' right. abilities. Because you don't know, because all of a sudden it jumps from the roof, and then you realize, oh, it can climb. Oh, it can do this. Oh, it can do that. And then even towards the very end, when it's like, oh, there's this starts this happening. Well, there, there are some things about this creature that I don't, I don't want to spoil the ending, but there's some things about this creature that become unexpected. You think it's done, and then it's not done on it. And that, so that was the thing is like when they're in the woods and they see the scratch marks and, they, and Kevin Durant's like he's like they're they're following the footprints and the footprints just stop and they're in the middle of the woods. It's like so when they just stop, they just they just vanish, and then he's like looking and there's like there's like claw marks in the trees and everything. I was like, I was like, come on, dude. I was immediately like, I was immediately like, I was like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's using the trees. No, that was immediately in my head because I just because apparently those movies don't exist in this universe. But um, it's an, it's an intriguing concept, and they they reveal a little, little bits at a time. First, you realize that this thing is fast. At first, first it's strong as shit. It's ripping motherfuckers apart. So we realized, and it was essentially there's kind of an eco theme there because it's it's industrial logging that is pressed so far north that it's invariably it's displaced this thing and it's pushed it into a populated area. So it was what we see happening with natural creatures, but this time it happens to have kicked up something brand new that we've never seen before. And they dropped the coelacanth reference when we rediscovered the coelacanth that that fish was still alive uh, today. So they dropped that reference in there that this is something that that is plausible. So this predator comes out of the damn woods, and we get pit bits and pieces. We get it's, it's super strong, it's super fucking fast. 
Um, it's tough as shit. It climbs all over the place and it likes the dark and doesn't come out during the day. So I, I dug that. Um, I, the problem that I the problem that, that I ran into is that creating a unique monster at this point, cause this was 2015 when the movie came out, trying to make something really new is I think in my personal opinion is impossible. Because at this point, everything that we see, every monster that we can create is an amalgamation of shit that we've seen before. So you take, you take, you, you take all these different animals, you can take different facets of them to try and make something really, really intriguing. It's kind of like the Leviathan problem. Where it's like, well, what can we do with this creature that mutates into everything that it eats its genetic, uh, its genetic, uh, or it eats its DNA. So, like, in Leviathan, it was, like, this biological organism that fed off other organisms and then added its DNA to its own and increasingly became a more mutated and horrible monster. Then you, but that's essentially, you're just adding human life and sea life, you're just adding it to it to, to Stan Winston gets this big, blah, fish-looking fucking thing in the water, and then Peter Weller blows it up with a grenade in the mouth with, uh, with a Dr. J shot. So, but the problem here is that this is essentially the same. That was in the 80s. And so, try, I see what they were trying to go for. The problem is they were doing so well, so well. Uh, the acting carried it. The writing carried it. I love the, you know, Nick Dimitri popped in there. He's one of my favorite actors. He popped in there. There's the dude in the truck. He was like, hey, yo, I'm Nick Dimitri. I'm here to give you some wisdom. And then, he, then, then we never see him again. And I think we never see him again. Hey, by and the so, way, shit's about to get fucked up. Peace. Right, he's like, <laughs> and so I'm sitting here looking at him. Was like, and then they drop little little hints. You see movement, you see claws, you see a foot go by, you see the scene when it's walking up the stairs and it's infiltrated the sheriff's house. But then, and so, so oh, we got some interesting shit. This looks weird. It looks intriguing. It looks unique. Until you see it CGI at the end. <sighs> yeah. Which is like, here's your monster, and I was like. Huh, really? And you you see it's an amalgamation of shit you've seen before. Actually, it's kind of an amalgamation, an, an amalgamation of shit that occurs in nature, which is essentially what all monsters are, really. It's just like they pull from different things. So I think that they tried, and they were almost there when showing bits and pieces. It was like, that's weird. That's weird. I've never seen that before. And then they went to show the monster at the end, which I think was a mistake. I think... If they pulled more of, you remember the movie The Monster, uh, oh, with, the, with the little girl, exactly, yeah, with Ella, yeah. Well, yeah, well, okay, so um, in that one, you never really saw the thing. You saw it in, in like in like profile, or you saw it like backlit. So you got it in shadow, and you got it like, oh, it's gleaming. It's kind of it's kind of wet. It's black. It's gross. Oh, it's got claws. It's got teeth. But you never really. And then when she sets it on fire, when the, when Ella sets it on fire at the end, you still didn't even really see it. Because it's all in flames. And then it dies, and it's so dark out, it's kind of like, oh, there it is, and it's dead. They kept enough of it hidden. And that's what I think they should have done in Dark Was the Night. It doesn't ruin the movie by any stretch. But otherwise, I think they just revealed too much at the end. Because at the end, it was it kind of came out, I was like, oh, I'm a big hulking monster. Oh, and that's pretty much it. So The thing is, is because you can't beat the imagination. Exactly. You, you just, you can't because your imagination is going to naturally fill it in. And... <laughs> All of a sudden, it's like it's a kind of just creepy buildup, and you see like a hoof, you see a claw, you see these little things here and there, and then you never, as soon as you show it, it all of a sudden it just becomes fake. Right. And it just wrote a no last name, brings up much like Alien, even at the end of Alien, by the end of Alien, you still don't even really see that thing full on. I think there's one shot 
in the movie Alien where the actual whole alien is revealed. And even then, it's not even totally revealed because it was backlit. So you yeah. kind of get an idea of the thing. Right. But you didn't. we didn't really see aliens until the James Cameron sequel. Yeah, well, you know. James Cameron had the money to make it scary. That's true. <laughs> James so, Cameron had James Cameron money. So that's the that was the whole big thing. I, I it, it in no way ruins the film. I just think it was they they took it. It was a and it was a fantastic setup. They're in the church. The sheriff is is found is kind of like found his inner strength again. You know the wife's there because he's got his his, his own story, which is just heartbreaking when you go through it and then of course he's lost faith in himself he doesn't know if he can protect anybody um he's lost faith in the fact that he can do his job and everybody around him is telling him we've got your back we believe in you he's just got to believe in himself and then i love how it how it culminates into this into this standoff sequence in the church which was well done and then and then in the end i what are you doing are you intruding on the show aaron said if you if you're gonna speak up you better show up <laughs> and then it culminates in this fantastic standoff which unfortunately is kind of diminished by the by the reveal of this thing and it's very obviously cgi when they use so they use so many practical effects to such good effect they should have just kept it that way but that's just that's just me yeah they probably got to the point where they wanted to show it and doing pieces of monster is a lot easier to do than an entire monster if you don't have the jim henson budget uh, for that so they probably tried the best they can, went CG, and it's just better not show it. Just, yeah. just better not. So here's my question for the audience. Um, is a unique monster, something that we've never seen before, is this, an, is this even a possible thing? Is it possible to do something that we haven't seen before? Or at this point in the horror game, in, in, the, in the game of monsters, for either film or books or whatever... Is it even possible to make something new? To have something completely unique? I'm curious what y'all think. Let us know down in the live chat, uh, or of course in the comments, or at weekendhorror.gmail.com. Is a unique monster even a possible thing, or is it just kind of like pie in the sky, kind of a pipe dream? So I, let I us know. I still want to believe that it's possible, that somebody out there will think of something, because it makes, it makes you think of, it was like 1899, where the patent office said everything that has been invented or can be invented, has been invented, and then the Wright brothers flew like three years later, four years later. So I maybe even, maybe we can't think of it, or a majority of people can't think of it, but I'm pretty sure there's somebody out there somewhere that can come up with something. And if you are able to do that, that is awesome. I'm looking forward to see it because I like to see unique things. All right. And actually, Rodan LS name says, yes, Tremors, unfortunately, Tremors was based off was was a, was a, an amalgamation of um, there's an animal that that it's not a worm but they took attributes from other animals and they added them to the Mongolian death worm. Is Tremors took its inspiration from from the cryptid the Mongolian death worm. So unfortunately, and of course a little bit of Dune in there because the size of the thing, the fact that it moved in you know moved underground, but uh, it took from other things. Um, oh, Chris Durham says Tusk was very unique. <laughs> the, the 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 walrus yes <laughs> travis brown says there's always a possibility and you, you never know the, the 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 human imagination is limited ah fact he says the ass blasters were new 
This the the shriekers and the ass blasters yep. and the oh maybe the ass blasters possibly I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> Nemo says yes, but it will be very difficult. I'm looking forward to seeing people try. That's that's what that's all we can do is just keep keep pushing the limits of the imagination. And yeah, someone just said, uh, Sir Chasm said, there's a reason there are so many unsuccessful attempts at H.P. Lovecraft. Very true, very true. All right, Alex, this Who is a fun. One. <laughs> uh all right all right let's move for, i guess keeping it kind of on a, a nature course um we're gonna go i swear i didn't intend for this it's all i really did it oh, sure animalia yeah so we're gonna go with they nest july 25th 2000 what a great year <laughs> that was a great year let's check this trailer out better than dean this. stockwell <laughs> uh, all right this one was directed by elroy Eccleum, written by john claflin and daniel zellman this starred uh clearly thomas uh calabro dean stockwell john savage kristen dalton tom mcbeth tom mcbeth sorry mark shuley uh dean ray was in there cheyenne unger and walter marsh um <laughs> this doctor freezes up during surgery and his superior suggests that he t- just t- takes a breath. So, you know, it takes a few fucking months off and these new civilization goes out. And, uh, uh, when that, as you saw, the body washes up on shore, he's brought in by the local sheriff to kind of give his expertise. And then it slowly finds out that these cockroach esque bugs, um, are killing and eating or killing and liquefying the insides of these people and then bursting out and spreading, um, which is fucking disgusting and i I got i got no problem with bugs at all and this one made my skin crawl and i get his reaction to the trenches in the classroom because he's like fucking bugs i'm done with them Uh, but uh there's there's a lot of cool see the size of that thing it's fucking (laughs) well i've seen them here too and it's like i'm just gonna go away for a couple of days but uh yeah so there's a there's a lot to this story that was really cool they really dug into stuff like um, they were talking about this African species and, you know, they did a lot of their research on this and it really shows through. Uh, so it wasn't like too over the top, like that wouldn't happen. There's a lot of actual like bug things that uh, really played in the story, which is really cool. God, but it's fucking <laughs> pick the wrong place to dry off. <laughs> there was, okay, okay down the, here, the, yeah. the one thing that makes the movie, that makes the movie watchable is that the movie never takes itself very seriously. No. And no, that was, that's what what's important. If it tried to be like, this is a real scenario, oh, you know, we would all would just be like, oh, come on, guys. You know, you know, but no one take, you know, goes, and Dean Stockwell is such a fantastic actor. Dean Stockwell plays it perfectly. Um, Calabro plays it perfectly, and I, I love it. it. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's telling a, a kind of a, an honest, a, a good little story about genetically engineered uh, bugs. The bug that they that they mentioned, like the 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 African armadillo bug, is not a bug that actually exists, and they actually say it's that it's absolute. often. They say in the book it's often mistaken for the Madagascar hissing cockroach, which is the cockroaches that they used in the film. Uh, because they're big and they're they they can climb all over shit and of course um, they hiss and they make weird noises and they also use those big uh, Malaysian flying ones with the with the with the white 
backs, you know, they use those ones for the flying sequence because uh, those ones are kind of freaky looking. You know, those um, big roaches are all just kind of gross. It's just like, uh, we've got, yeah, uh, we've, you know, what would have worked was the giant, what are the, the giant Chinese water bugs that we have down here? The toe, oh, yeah, the, oh, the, the yeah, they yeah. would have fit in with the story better because they kept talking about like crabs and pincers and stuff like that, but yeah, it's just, yeah. <laughs> I got so, like I said, I was saying, it's, it's a it's a classic mutant just mutant cockroach horror <laughs> film, and I and I enjoyed it. It's got its comedic moments. It's got its good little setups. You know, people reaching into crevices and then coming back, and you know, giant giant cockroaches. Every you know, people just don't dig guys, and even these people don't dig giant cockroaches. And the sequence, because I watched this with Angela, the sequence with a big queen looking thing whatever the fuck that was <laughs> crawls into dean stockwell's mouth which you saw in the what you see in the trailer it, even she was like hot no 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 so but I, I i dug this but it you know as a filmmaker i have to honestly say it's got to be difficult filming with insects because there were a shit ton of cockroaches using that there were some there were some cg or i would say some animated ones some some cg ones mm -hmm. some of the big swarm sequences were cg the uh the madagascar hissing roach does not move as fast as you saw in the trailer it's actually kind of a slow bug mm -hmm. um but uh they use a shit ton of them and trying to imagine you know, trying to get over that because i don't know about you but it's one thing i've never I've never had to do as an actor is work with, with bugs uh, or especially like cockroaches and shit. Cause they, I don't like cockroaches. They fucking, they don't freak me out. I just, I don't like them. They're, they're KOS as far as I'm concerned. Um, especially, you know, and I, I've never, I've never been, you know, encountered a Madagascar hissing roach. I've seen them in movies, but I will, I've only, I'm only familiar one? with, I know I never have. I'm only oh, familiar. so weird. I'm only oh. familiar with the with the tech with the evil Texas roach, with the, te yeah, with no, the Texas cockroach, the mean fuckers that will that will dive bomb you and, you know, and you eat see, meat. We have two roaches here in Texas. You've got the big ones, the tree roaches, and they just end up in your house on accident. They're they're like they're trying to get out as fucking bad as you want them out. And then you've got the little German cockroaches, which are the ones that infest and get into everything. And I remodeled a house one time that we had to go to. And I'm not shitting you when I say when we took off the door hinges, there was road shit underneath it. The pictures, road shit, all the crevices, anywhere that was dark, was they were inside the display on the stove. Like it was everywhere. And they get, so oh like the uh, so like the trailer behind the walls under everywhere. the floor seriously oh. everywhere they're <laughs> fucking everywhere and they shit all over the place and they're super unsanitary and so like you see the big ones and those are like the okay ones in Texas because they don't give a shit about the inside of your house they want the trees you see those little fuckers though oh yeah I don't know, I always had a big problem with the with the with the big ones because the 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 big ones I'm talking the the fucking Texas sized monsters that fly and are mean. Yeah. And they'll fly at you. They have oh, no. Yeah. They, like I've encountered that they have no fear. I had one keep me out of the house one time. <laughs> so no like I was trying to get into my front door, and it was it was like and, and the sucker was up there on the on the eaves on the on the, the little awning above the front door. And every time I got close, it would dive bomb me, and then go right back out. And I, I swore the fucker was watching me. And I'm like, I just want to get inside. Yeah, I'll leave you alone. That's it. I'll leave you alone. I just want to go in. <laughs> and I've seen these. Fun. I've seen them. They and they're they're meat eaters. They'll eat anything. So, but seeing these ones and then adding this this attribute that they're biting people and paralyzing them and shit, I love the fact it's it's just a fun little one. It's just from a filmmaking perspective, it's got to be a pain in the ass, and it kind of you know why somebody would want to be a cockroach wrangler. 
um, is weird, is kind of odd to me, or be a bug wrangler because there they, there are wranglers. Uh, but yeah, uh, I I don't I don't know. It's, I don't know if it's something that I could ever do as an actor. What about, as a director, Eugene? Would you ever want to have to deal with it? Nope. No, I remember <laughs> I remember growing up and I watched uh, was it Joe's apartment. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. And I watched the behind the scenes of that, and they just had these giant barrels of just cockroaches. Just <laughs> giant. They're like, yeah, we have like 50,000 of them. And, and because you have you have these moments, and I will always remember the moment in Joe's apartment where they're in like the chandelier. Yes. And then <laughs> it falls, and all these cockroaches fall on her. And I'm going to tell you right now, those are real roaches. Those are hands down real roaches. So they basically are like, hey, you're going to sit on this couch. And then at some point, we're going to dump like 200 roaches on you. And you can freak wow. out and do everything you, uh, somebody would naturally, but we're going to dump 200 roaches on you. You have to be okay with it. Nope. 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 Because I guarantee you, he may have showed up with 50,000 cockroaches and he probably left with like 49,000. And who knows where the other thousand went? <laughs> who knows? There, you cannot guarantee. You cannot guarantee me that you kept track of every single roach. Every single one. I don't buy it. I just don't. Maybe they Angel, did. Angel Riviera, how do bug wranglers lasso cockroaches? Frogs on the bush. back of squirrels with lassos, duh. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the, the, uh, the kicker in Joe's apartment was when he put the one in his mouth. Because they do the sequence where he's eating cereal and he's not paying attention. And he lifts up the spoon, and it's got one of the big fucking roach sitting on top of it. And he's like, uh, uh, <laughs> and then, oh. And so Jerry McConnell, Jer Jerry O'Connell actually put the cockroach in his mouth in order to do that scene. And he's like, oh, and, the, and the, the guys are telling him, oh, they're, they're perfectly sanitary. It's not going to hurt you. They don't, they don't. I was like, no, no, motherfucker, no. No, but an intriguing thing that you bring up about them releasing into the wild, about them escaping and shit, is that when using Madagascar, Madagascar hissing roaches are actually a—they're considered an exotic animal and require certain or certain uh, uh, permits in order to use them, especially for filming, because if you use a whole bunch of them, they can escape. So all of the cockroaches that you see, all of the real ones that you see in the movie, are all male. Females are not allowed to be used. Because if a pregnant female gets loose and gets into the wild, then you could possibly have an infestation problem. This is why a lot of states have them under strict or have them under strict uh, protocol that you can't bring females onto a set, and that because if females were to escape, we could have and we could have a um, an invasive species situation. So any that you use, they have to be certified as as uh, certified as male. How so the fuck, you sex a cockroach? I don't yeah. know. How? <laughs> That's, that's the fucking dude. Somebody Let me check out your cloaca uh, here. <laughs> somebody, somebody call Mike Rowe. We need fucking answers. Yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know. The fact you go, oh, we got to certify like a thousand of these. Who does that? <laughs> it's a job for somebody. Cindy Sue says, "That's it. No soup for me tonight." No super. <laughs> uh, and Jin, Jin Chu's in the house. Good to see you, Jin Chu. It shows up with 50k roaches, but leaves with 35. Just 35. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say this. For those who have the stomach for it, there's actually big business in Madagascar roaches. If you can get the permits, you can actually breed them. And they breed apparently really, really easily. The only thing you don't need is you just don't want them to get cold. 
because they can't they they can't survive the cold at all. So you need to keep them warm, but you can breed them. And if you breed them and keep them in captivity, there's actually big money in them because movies use them all the time. They always have a need for them if they're going to have bugs in it because they're easier to deal with than your standard uh, your standard like Texas roach or your North American roach. So the Madagascar the Madagascar hissing roach is impressive because it's big. It's good. See, they use them in Men in Black. And like you said, so, they're slow. There's big money in using them because they, they look great on camera. People are freaked out by them. They're effective and they're easy to breed. They, they breed incessantly because they're freaking cockroaches. So if you were to want to, want to, there's money in it. So you can breed them for films. You can breed them for bait. You can breed them for exotic pets. There's a market there. So, and all you need is a big ass fucking terrarium, a lot of leaf litter, fresh vegetables and shit for them to climb on. And that's pretty much because they love climbing. Apparently, climbing is one of the things they do. And they can climb over. They can climb over smooth glass. That's kind of cool. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <It's> not very <laughs> cool. <laughs> so Sir Captain says no creepy bugs were harmed during the filming. The actors, however, will carry the emotional scars forever. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, they will. But I, I kind of dug it. It's it a good, cheesy little mutant cockroach film. Doesn't take itself too seriously. And it was, you know, the acting and the writing weren't too bad. Um, and you can definitely tell that James Gunn took some inspiration here for Slither with the bathtub scene. Because you have the chick in the bathtub and the creepy, you know, the, the roach coming up. I could see that there was some inspiration that some other people, that some other directors took from this. Tesla Bitten is in the house. Good to see you, Tesla. Just love the look on Eugene's face. Not a fan. He's not a fan. He said no. <laughs> nope. Just straight up, straight up, no. No. I can deal with a lot of bugs. I deal with a lot of things. Snakes don't bother me. Spiders don't bother me. Roaches. K-O-S. K-O-S. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So that that actually brings up something that I want to know. Because I, like you said, I'm, I'm fine with most creatures. Um, as long as you don't. As long as they don't crawl like up your pants. That's I had a fucking spider in my jeans one time. Put the shit on me. It was terrible. It was a wolf spider. But uh, I want to ask the audience. In your beard. Yeah, no thanks. No thanks. They nest. <laughs> um, I want to ask the audience. What is the bug that scares you the most? Um, I know people that are absolutely terrified of ants. It, like you know anything it could just be terrifying. Uh, my daughter. It's June bugs. She was traumatized by a June bug when she was big because it got stuck in a diaper. It was dead. She sat down and it got stuck to her diaper and it was hanging off. And I was like, hey, let me grab that. And then she saw it and tried to run away and saw that it was following and just had an emotional breakdown. And ever since then, she, she <laughs> June bugs. My, bro- my brother's crickets. Be- yeah? uh, so it's because uh, my, my dad used to work, a long time ago, used to work um, at a truck, a truck yard that was, next, that was next to Irving Stadium, the old Irving Stadium. And in between Irving Stadium and the old truck yard was this massive field. So giant, un, you know, undeveloped uh, uh, piece of land that was, that, you know, and plenty of places for, you know, it was crickets. You know, it was great. And then you're in a truck yard, so at night, the big floodlights come on to illuminate everything so everybody can see what the hell, what, what everybody is doing. And so when the floodlights came on, the crickets came out of the field and into the yard. And they would come in a wave. And my brother got my brother when he was like, I think he was 11, maybe he was 10, got caught in a wave of them. 
and they were jumping all over the place and crawling all over him because he didn't see it coming. So all of a sudden, it was just like crickets all over, like, and that try that kind of traumatized him forever. <laughs> I will tell you, crickets, crickets are no joke because it was something about 20 years ago, like around 2000, Dallas had a really bad infestation to the point where like it looked like streets were moving. And I went to a high school football game. I didn't go to most of them. I was like, fine, I'm going to go. I'm going to support a friend of mine. Um, and I got there, and there were crickets everywhere. And I will tell you, I will, I'll tell you, during the entire game, I had no less than 10 crickets on me. No less. I mean, it was just every – there was no there was no safety. There's no sanctuary. There was just nothing. You I mean, you just accept it, and you're just sitting there, and just crickets are just on you. Kind of you, don't, you don't remember, like, what was it, like six or seven years ago? Yeah, we worked together. Buddies. We worked this together when this happened. It was like the fucking gas stations that all the kids Oh, yes. It, for like a week, it was just black because it was, it was covered in the gas pumps. Like, you couldn't do – you feel bad because like I gotta get gas, bro, but I can't move eighteen thousand crickets in any sort of reasonable way. So <laughs> guess we're driving over them. It was terrible, but yeah. Jinju says I tried to breed body lies once. Not a lot of scratch in it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I get that. Yeah, Aaron Reese says I'm less scared of roaches than I am the people that let them breed in their houses. Good point. In fact, yeah. he says big ass spiders, and and he says silverfish. Fuck those. Yeah, that was pretty, pretty, pretty gross. Logical hillbilly says bed bugs. Look at you being logical. Cindy Sue, <laughs> Cindy Sue says roaches. Wrote an LS name says look out for jail's new horror script. Beard spiders. <laughs> 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 and and he says house centipedes. Oh, or so maybe, that's maybe it's human centipedes. Maybe no, but house centipedes. <laughs> so up north, they're they look like okay, so they look like. A mutant toothbrush head they're like a small body and their legs are very like there's a lot of them and they're thick and they look like like a toothbrush if you flatten it out and they're scary shit and they're fast you turn the light on and they scurry into the light socket it's it's terrifying i can agree <laughs> with that one they're, they're harmless uh, but they're fucking terrifying looking mr malord brings up cicadas the cicadas are already out for us they're actually out early they were um, they were insane yesterday, man. They're yeah. so loud. They're like birds this year. They're they uh, they they actually came, they came out early this year because of, because of the heat. So they they hatched a little early this year because typically it's not till about August and then going into September when we get the, but our cicadas are out early this year and the June bugs not so much. I haven't seen one this year. Right. So uh, I think that's actually weird. I didn't even think of that. Normally yeah, we're getting think, bombarded by them by now. I think it's because of the heat. The heat has kind of changed things a little bit. It may have killed off the the current breeding generation. I'm not sure, but we do know uh, like very few, very few June bugs, and uh, the cicadas came out early. So um, Aaron Reese says Oklahoma beard spiders. So, <laughs> apparently, this is going to be a thing. <laughs> beard spiders, definitely. Cindy Johnson says any. I don't like any bug at all. <laughs> And Ronan Nellis name says Electric House Centipedes. It sounds like a rock opera or a good band name. You should write that down. Electric House <laughs> Centipedes. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, we got one more. Eugene? We do. <laughs> we do. All right. The last one we have is Monkey Shines, which was released July 29th, 1988. Let's check and out this trailer. Roll it. Fucking monkeys. 
I know, monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got Monkey Shines, directed by the great George A. Romero, starring Jason Becky, John Pat. I didn't have a chance to pr- practice the names ahead of time. John uh, Pacow. Pancow. Pancow. Kate McNeil and Joyce Van Pat. And basically what you is, is you have a former athlete who becomes a quadriplegic and therefore the friend has a monkey that he experimented on to go and take care of the athlete and things get out of hand because the monkey starts killing loved ones. Well, not so loved ones, but yeah. and not so loved ones, and <laughs> shit gets real. <laughs> sure, fucking does. Rodanella's name, well, mm-hmm. name says, "Well, it's no Shockma." <laughs> Actually, I think that this movie was better than Shockma, to be perfectly honest. Um, uh, this, I, I think, th- this one was fantastic. Um, obviously, because I think first and foremost, because. It's George A. Romero, uh, written for the screen. That the the, uh, the screenplay was uh, the adaptation from the novel was written by George A. Romero, and then of course directed by George Romero as well. Um, and I think uh, definitely a departure from his usual stuff. Although there you see you still get the little bits and pieces of the things that Quinn make it a quintessential Romero film, the setting and um, oh pardon me, and a lot of the camera style, a lot of the cam- the uh, the camera tricks that he uses for his productions. But otherwise, definitely a departure from what from what uh, Romero usually does. Now, this was his second studio film and his last studio film. It was also his second most expensive film ever made, with its budget was seven million dollars. Um, but I got to be perfectly honest. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this movie because Romero despite the problems that he had with this, the studio interference that he encountered, the problems with you know, having such, an, have such a large budget, working with animals is always a pain in the ass. There were 12 monkeys that were used to portray Ella, not to mention you know, puppetry and other stuff that was utilized. Um, I can understand why he, had so, why, why he had such difficulty, but he still, despite all these problems, churned out a really amazing movie. A well-done, you know, it's uh, well thought out and well produced horror film, but it broke. But it essentially, from from if you read the uh, pretty much the production of it, the film essentially broke him because he wound up shooting like 240 something pages of, of material, which is way too long. You can't have that long of a movie. They wind up having to cut over half of it in order to get one that's suitable for runtime, and so. And of course, you've got studio pressures coming in, the budgetary pressures coming in, trying to you know make things. It the formula is not what Romero was used to. Romero is an indie director. Night of the Living Dead, De- uh, Dawn of the Dead. These are uh, the crazies. All things shot under his power, by his direction, and he was the driving force behind them. Not something like this. And after this, he broke away and never did and never did a studio film uh, again until the day he passed away. So and it. It's a bummer because studio or indie, he's fucking great. And while the independent films, you kind of lack flexibility. You kind of like are stuck because your 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 budget is you're constrained by budget and you're constrained by your shooting schedule. What you what you can do, but you have creative control. With a studio film, you've got the money, you've got the time, you've got you've got access, but you lose a little bit of the creative uh, the creative control on that. But either way. Romero could turn out a fantastic fucking movie. 
And it was a bummer that it was such a bad experience for him because more Romero studio pictures, I think, for him to go the Wes Craven route, where we started doing more studio production instead of indie stuff. You know, Romero started indie, or sorry, Craven started indie, and then went and did, started doing video studio movies. Romero just couldn't do that. I, I guess it, you know, it's just it's just who the man was, which is a damn shame because this just goes to show, and I think Monkey Shines is a wonderful example of how studio interference and the politics of making films can can just ruin someone for it. It'd be like, oh, I have no taste for it, no matter how good I may be able to turn out a product. And as good as this movie was, Romero didn't like it. He didn't he didn't like the outcome or or what was shown. So no matter what, the studio the studio effect ruined him on studio pictures. He went straight back to indies and never returned. And so it, he was happy doing that. That's great. And we got more dead movies. We got more uh, more stuff. But unfortunately, he was kind of pigeonholed. You know, we didn't get to see Romero really flourish thanks to that studio interference. And the thing is, it's such a shame because at this point, I mean, he's already a well-established director right? at this, but you can also, you kind of see why some directors are real apprehensive about going a studio route. One of the directors today, Jordan Peele. So when Jordan Peele directed Get Out, uh, he received big offers, big offers for $100 million, $200 million films, uh, some that have come out, some that still haven't. And they threw all these offers at him, and he turned all of them down. And it was like, I still want to do small budget. I still want to maintain creative control. I still want to go. Um, I want to do this route. And so that's why the budgets of his films that he directs, he keeps low because he can have that more that more say about it. And he can basically turn out the product at once. That's why he's happy with the films that he's done so far, just kind of slowly increasing budget. Um, one of the one of the things that's kind of been working for Disney a lot lately is Disney has been letting directors, like established directors, don't go the route that they want. Even James Gunn posted a thing on Twitter talking about how he pretty much had full control over Guardians of the Galaxy on it. Like Disney just let him go, and that's one of the reasons why Guardians of the Galaxy is one of the more successful films from Disney. Same thing with the Russo brothers and with Infinity War and Endgame. Disney has found that formula. So you know what? We trust the director, so let's just give them money and take a step back. And more times than not, that it hits. But even back in the 80s, it still wasn't like that because unless you were Steven Spielberg or you were James Cameron, directors didn't have that name, name notoriety. Yeah, horror films, of course, they knew who George A. Romero was. People inside the film community knew. But it still wasn't as prevalent as it is today on it so directors still didn't really have that amount of say and you get the studio interference you get all the be of all the budgetary restraints and yeah. you get more hands more cooks in the <laughs> um and it can really ruin experience especially at the very end out of all the headache out of all that heartbreak and all the blood sweat and tears you're not even happy with a final product and if you're yeah. like I can direct this $500,000 film and be happy or direct a $7 million film and be miserable. You're going to go with the 500,000. Right. And, and he says, monkey reminds me of outbreak. That's because same species. Capuchin monkey is the one that was used in outbreak. It was the same one as the, that was used here. Same, same species um, that was used for Ella. And then of course, Aaron Reese says he got tired of studios treating him like they owned him. And yes, that metaphor is supposed to sound that heavy. And I agree with you because when when you when the studio's backing you, the studio has that kind of control. 
you're a commodity. That's a, that's what you are. You are. You're, I mean, your numbers on a spreadsheet, of course, and they expect you to do a particular job. But like any industry, they they expect results, and it's going to be results within the parameters that they set, regardless of your creative influence or how good the shit you may have shot is. It's going to be their say, and, and you know, that could be very disempowering. Exactly. When when you sign that contract, you know you know what's going to happen. You're going into it with a head like, well, it doesn't even matter what the fuck I wanted to do because they're just going to do whatever they want to do with it at the end. And going in with that mindset can really affect a film. And you're talking about Peel and how he um, he was familiar with that kind of restraint, if you will, because of um, and they're a little looser with it at Comedy Central and his kind of stuff. But I'm sure there's a lot that he has on his mind that he wants to get out there. And he knows that if he signs those contracts, he's not going to be able to. And so he's going to push and he's going to make money on his films because he's a great filmmaker and he's going to keep it out of the hands of people who are going to try to mainstream it. And nowadays, even back then, it just, it doesn't work because what people think, what these studios think that these people want is not what they want. They want to see the creative director and they want to see all the, the ideas that you had and you want to see it as raw as possible. And yeah, yeah, it, it gets to a point where it's like, well, fuck you, dude. Great. $7 million. So what? I can go do it. Like, wait, I'm stuck. I'm fucking stuck then. And I can't do what I want. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the mindset oh. affects the movie for sure. Oh, absolutely. And wh- one thing that, that it's such a shame because I really, really loved, um, I love the fact that this really showed because this was an adaptation off a novel. And the fact that, that Romero is the one who actually did the, the screenplay adaptation on this. And, Novel adaptations don't always go so well, but this one was noted as being as as despite all the stuff that was cut out, it really captured the themes of the novel. Which and I love existential horror. I love philosophical horror. I love horror that 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 forces you to ask deeper questions. Big things like you know the ambiguous nature of human motivations and our seemingly our seeming inability to deal with the consequences of the things that we desire. And uh, the 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 difference between instinct and rash and rational thinking, um, and how we juxtapose that with the things like religious belief, and while some of these were just only kind of like hinted at, and of course like man's control over nature, nature's control over man, and who you know who is controlling who in this respect, um, trying to gain success off of nature by abusing it. You know, Stephen uh, Stephen Root, who's in a small role in this, Stephen Root, who plays like he's kind of like the evil scientist, you know, doing the whole like the rats in the water bucket experiment, a horrible experiment. I know why Romero put that in there. Anybody who was familiar with it, it was an awful experiment that yielded slightly usable scientific results, but could have been done another way that didn't result in the the drowning deaths of hundreds of rats. And then, of course, you got that guy who's like, oh, it was like scientific progress, no matter what the cost. And we, you know, we want results now. And then you got the one scientist like, it takes time, it takes effort, and I'm not vivisecting fucking animals all over the place just so you can get your fucking dollar signs. You know, there's a, so many themes that are wo- woven throughout the entire film. And Romero translated them, in my, in my opinion, perfectly. It showed his talent, not only as a director, not only as a master of social commentary, but also the ability to take to, to transcribe literary works and bring them to the screen. And that was an untapped talent of his, which, unfortunately, the studio fucking wrested that out of them. So I, watching this movie again, knowing what I know now, it just pissed me off even more. <laughs> because, because Romero, with his amazing talent... And he doesn't get to use it again, which really aggravated me. 
<laughs> well, yeah, but you know where they did where they did keep stuff in. So you're talking about like this, um, this instinct thing. Okay, you can't do anything because you can't use any of your limbs. You're you're extremely angry. And something that translated very well from the book to the movie was that kind of like living vicariously through the monkey. It was like, I'm so frustrated that I could just kill somebody and then somebody dies and you're like, whoa. So it's this yield of power, this yield of knowledge that your deepest rage is going to be fulfilled and it feels good and you keep doing it. And this instinct versus moral, um, not ambiguity, it's like just the, the, the polar opposite. You know, this guy loves these people, but then also gets so mad that people die. It's just that kind of power gets to your head and when you're helpless, but you have, you know, f- newfound power. It's like winning the lottery. You get this newfound power, and you just can't help yourself. And uh, it, it translates really well because they were trying to show that a lot in the book was uh, that that helplessness turned into power, and they they portrayed that very well through the, the story. I think one thing that that stood out to me, and I, I know the two of you picked up on it as well, was the the was. The primary, uh, the 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 major characters, Alan's reactions. Obviously, he was a, he was a championship runner, and then all of a sudden he's a quadriplegic because of a of a an, an accident. You know, he was hit by a truck while he was he, he, he freaked out by the dog. He gets hit by the truck. Now all of a sudden he's paralyzed from the neck down. Um, and fortunately, the situation doesn't require a breathing tube or anything. But you know, he's paralyzed. So he's the runner who who was uh who was essentially the kind of like master of his body. And now his body has betrayed him, and now he can't use it anymore. So he's in this frustrating situation. But then the fact that he is now dependent upon everyone around him to help him. So whether it's the nurse, the living nurse, or his mother. And then Romero captured the frustrations of having to help someone consistently. Of having to help the, the invalid. Okay? The individual, they, they can't live without your assistance. And how those frustrations get turned back on because you essentially that's a huge sacrifice that people have to make. And then those frustrations with that mm-hmm. sacrifice is turned against the person who is the, the one who is the, uh, the victim of the accident. And then their frustrations come out and, may, and, and it just creates a vicious cycle. And Romero captured that and how it kind of like manifests in different ways through, you know, through misanthro- uh, misanthropy and almost a kind of misogynistic look. At care at you know at his female caregivers, both the the nurse who is you know the the minute she said the line, he was like, oh, so you're Alan's caretaker. That's the burden God has. You know, that's the that's what uh, the burden God has given me or some shit. And I'm like, fuck this bitch. And the fact that his girlfriend deuces on him after he gets paralyzed, Janine Turner's character in her small role, Stanley Tucci is also in this one, and the doctor who could have fixed him, but he's like, oh, this is my chance to kind of like. Leave him in a chair and you know and get his and get his girlfriend uh, for my own. Everyone is fucking this dude over at every turn, and then they then they balk that he's fucking angry about it, which right. just fuels his own anger even more. So I love. I mean, the acting is great. I love what Romero captured here. It's just I wish he'd gotten to do more more stuff like this to really branch out. Bruiser was an excellent example of uh, of him kind of stepping out of his wheelhouse. And Bruiser was magnificent. And then he turns around and he does Monkey Shines. I love this one. Um, damn it, I wish that they hadn't ruined him on these. Well, going back to a sudden disability is the difficulty of that because then you get you get a girlfriend that 
Well, she didn't sign up for that. She didn't right. sign up to take care of somebody. And you, this, and it's not something that is temporary. It's one thing when somebody's sick or in the hospital or even something well, that can be sick for a long period of time. It's permanent. So then all of a sudden, it's you have somebody who's taking care of you, and they didn't sign up for it. And it dictates the rest of their life on top of the person that has a disability. And that's very difficult to deal with. And to be 100% honest, not everybody can do it. Not not everybody can, um, and it, it so all of a sudden they kind of lash out because then that becomes the object of what they are upset about because it basically hinders all of their plans because now it's like well this person relies on me one hundred percent I can't go and do the goals I can't go and do the things that I wanted to do my life doesn't no longer goes away plan and people can people can take that harshly. It's very, very, very difficult. And then on top of that, being the guy you said who mastered its body, and one of the most terrifying things, at least for me, is your body failing. When you when you look at something like um, we look at something with well, a scene in Wolf Creek where it like where he cuts the spinal cord and all of a sudden her legs don't work. Yeah, and it's like, what do you do with that? Like you're you're depending on your body trying to hold up. You know? There's, just, there's no work. There's no, you're now 100% hopeless. Uh, Johnny's, Johnny's mic is doing that sound thing again. Oh, no. Okay, there it goes. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, it, no. It, Johnny's mic occasionally does this thing where it sounds like he's going underwater. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, playing into that, um, they, it, can be, it can be hellish. It yeah. really can. I just I can't imagine, like you said, being the master of your body, knowing you know, knowing everything inside and out, and then all of a sudden not being able to feel it, the entire thing. Like you're just a head attached to something that doesn't work. That's got to be frustrating as fuck. Yeah, and then of course you know, then uh, the whole climax where he just goes full Conan on this on this <laughs> on Ellen, I, and I, I'd love that. I was like, oh yeah, going full Conan, yeah. like Conan on like Conan on the Vulture. Arr! <laughs> yeah, it's like a fucking, I, I love that sequence. That really, I just like, I was like, oh, balls out, dude. Fucking balls. Yes. <laughs> well, all right. I want to actually ask the audience because we talked about Romero and his studio versus his indie films. Which one do you prefer? Do you prefer his studio work or do you prefer his indie work? Let us know in the comments below or shoot us an email at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Awesome. All right. Well, it's about that time. It is. I know we're running a little long, but it is trivia right, time. Later. <laughs> <laughs> it's trivia time now. So we got a trivia question for our audience, and we are giving away a, an audience? a. I hope there's still an audience. <laughs> we, <laughs> we are giving away a coveted weekend horror pint glass this week because I haven't given away enough of those yet, and weekend horror pint glass. And Sarcasm and Jack Burton, those should have arrived to you. I'm hoping that they did. Uh, let me know, because those, those are the last two winners who won pint glasses. We're giving away another one this week. So here we go. Our uh, For the person who gets this answer correct, the first one in the live chat, and I've got the live chat up, so I can see who the first answer is. Make sure it's live. Yep, we're good to go there. Great. Here is your Week in Horror trivia question. The film Wolfen made early use of an in-camera effect to portray the point of view of the wolf. But what horror franchise 
later made this effect famous. So the film Wolfen made early use of an in-camera effect to portray the point of view of the wolf. But what horror franchise later on made this effect famous? First one with the correct answer gets a Week in Horror official pint glass featuring the artwork, our very first limited edition artwork from Josh Olson. Here we go, here we go. Skid Scratch, no, Skid Scratcher. Good to see you, Skid, Skid Scratcher, but it's not my mom. <laughs> hey, I see Joshua Lee. Boom, Joshua Lee has got it. Even though there's a question mark, his guess is correct. It is the movie Predator. So yes, the Predator effect, the thermal vision that you see in that, that technique, that in-camera technique to produce the, the Predator's vision was initially used, but this was a one of the earliest uses of that technique to portray the wolf's point of view, uh, or the wolf spirit's point of view in the movie Wolfen. And then five years later, uh, John McTiernan would use it to portray the Predator's vision in the movie Predator, which would then make it famous um, as the creature that sees heat. So congratulations, Joshua Lee. Congratulations, Joshua Lee. Way to go. We will get that printed and get that shipped out to you ASAP. Congrats. Yes, Sarcasm, you are correct. Predator. All right. All right. And that will bring another episode of Weekend Horror to a close. Thank you all so much for listening. And as always, we truly hope you enjoyed the show. Join us next week when we look back at the killer transplant horror body parts, a new envisioning of the Invisible Man, and Hello, Matt. The BBC horror miniseries Jekyll and the gruesome 80s reboot of The Blob. Massive shout out to all of our amazing patrons who continue to help us make Weekend Horror the incredible success it has become. Thank you all so, so very much. Uh, as JL mentioned, Joshua Olson does all of our amazing artwork for the show, and his designs are incredible. Hit up his store at www.badsamurai.store. For more horror fun, be sure to follow us on all the socials for your daily horror posts. Be sure to combat the evil algorithm by dropping a comment, liking, subscribing, and smashing the living fuck out of that bell. And lastly, if you love what we do here and you would like and are able to support our production, you can by joining and enjoying the tasty benefits of one of our amazing, amazing, many amazing patron tiers. But if <laughs> Patreon is not your favorite stocking method, you can always support us directly through our PayPal. Links to everything, including our Discord community, where you can hang out with us, are in the description below. And remember, the goal is global horror domination, and we can't do it without you, our amazing audience. So, pretty please, with the severed infested head of Clint on top, go share the absolute fuck out of our little show. Thank you all for being the greatest audience a podcast could ever have. I'm Alex. And I'm Eugene. And I'm JL. We'll see you next week, and as always, stay scared. <laughs>